When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, Greeny, we roll along with you here on ESPN Radio. We are, uh, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. I got to get to Woj's Twitter feed, which I just somehow managed to lose. There we go. Uh, for the very latest on all of this. And my thanks to Woj, who is the man. You know, I've, I've come to know him a lot better over the last two years doing the NBA shows. And um, it, it is fascinating for me to watch a guy like that in his process. Um, yeah, he's so different from Shefty. I've known, you know, these insiders. One of the things about being at ESPN as long as I've been here, 27 years, is you, you, you see exceptional people and you see how they do their job and you learn from each of them. And, you know, I think Shefty and Woj are, are you know, two guys at the very, very, very top of that. I'm not going to separate them from others. We have so many great reporters, but they're, I guess, the two best known, certainly. And I've, I've, I've known Shefty very well for years. And as I've gotten to know Woj now, over the, they work very differently. Like, they, they have very different process about the way they go. Shefty is like a ball of energy. If you've ever seen Shefty, he's just racing around with all his phones at one time, and he's got 8 million things going on. <laughs> and Woj is the opposite. Woj would be sitting in the room, always eating. We're sitting in the room. We're always in that conference room. He's eating. He's talking. He's chatting with everyone. And all of a sudden, he will just go, excuse me, and he'll get up, and he'll walk out the door. And he goes to some quiet place, I don't know where, and he's on the phone with somebody. And like a minute later on his Twitter feed, there's some enormous breaking story. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've come to learn when he leaves the room, something's about to happen. Someone probably just, you know, got fired or hired or traded or whatever it is. So anyway, but so let me, I digress. But so Woj got up this morning at like five in the morning, LA time. And he got all the latest information on the Draymond thing. And he came on Get Up and he was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And so now he's tweeting some of the information that he got. So let me read it. He interviewed Joe Dumars, who was the NBA's executive VP, who was involved in the decision to make the suspension. And here's quotes from Joe Dumars. Here's what it came down to. Excessive and over-the-top actions, conduct detrimental, and a repeat offender. That's what separates this where you end up with a suspension. He went on to say, on weighing the circumstances of the Warriors being down 2 nothing to the Kings, meaning weighing the, the magnitude of the moment, he said, quote, you know what the situation is, but you have to set that aside and look at the facts in front of you. Repeat offender weighs as heavy as anything. I will give them credit. Whether you agree or disagree with what the league did, they're out front. They're making no bones about why they did it. Joe Dumars is right there available, quoted on the record with Woj. So, again, you may disagree. You may be, as Woj told us, the Warriors are livid. But I I give them credit for standing behind what they did, not trying to bury it or anything like that. I did ask Woj this morning about reaction on Get Up, and this is what he said. One word, uh, livid. And they were certainly didn't agree with the one-game suspension. I think they were surprised at it. 
uh, no question about that. They certainly went through this in the finals with Cleveland losing Draymond Green for a game uh, in 2016. But they're going to have to live with it. Uh, he's, you know, appeals don't really, uh, there's really nowhere to go with an appeal uh, in these situations. So again, that was Woj this morning on Get Up. So, Bubba, does that change your perspective at all? Once again, Bubba, for those of you just joining us, thinks that what um, thinks that what Draymond did to Sabonis was a grazing. He said he grazed his chest, right? And uh, and you do not believe that Draymond should have been disciplined hardly at all in all of this. What is your reaction, Bubba, to this now? Yeah, I mean, I guess. I, I see what they're saying more so. Definitely like you're mentioning when they show it more and more on TV with what he was doing after the fact with the crowd. And I, I, I do feel like that is more and more why he was suspended. So I definitely see what Woj is saying there and the excessive over-the-top actions. So I think it was definitely more for that than the Grays. So I think, you know, Woj is probably right about that. Um, so it, it changes my mind a little bit about that. I come around on that because I do think, kind of what you mentioned earlier, I, I think is a fair point, like, you never know what could happen if he starts instigating with the crowd. So I think that's a good point. So I, I think that was a little questionable with his reaction after. I think his reaction after, honestly, was probably worse than the questionable stomp. Yeah. You know, Bubba, were you ever a fan in your life of wrestling? I was when I was younger, yeah. Me too. I, I grew up loving. My brother and I used to watch on TBS um, World Championship Wrestling. <laughs> nice. When I was when I was a kid, WCW was called. It wasn't the WWF as it was then known, and now the WWE. But it was there was a there was a different uh, wrestling group, right. and then I think they merged at some point. And yeah, I pay more attention to the wrestling now than I have, and and you know I loved it as a kid, and then I didn't pay as much attention to it for a while. But now one of my best friends runs the whole thing, and uh, and and I love McAfee, and he's involved in it and everything. So I pay a lot of attention to it. So if you watch wrestling, what is it? Wrestling is the oldest, it's the tale as old as time. A hero, a villain, and a crowd. That's all that is required for entertainment. That's where sports started, right? That's what it came from. You have a hero, you have a villain, you have a crowd. The WWE does it better than anybody. They, 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 in, they, because they can script it the way they want it to be, they can make it exactly what they want. They know exactly what the fans want. And they're able to give it to them every single time. It's kind of a foolproof setup. Sports like this, the NBA, is different. Because they want to have a hero and a villain, but they want to have it exclusively on their own terms. Which is to say, if I'm just making this up now. The Knicks are playing the Bulls, and the game is being played at Madison Square Garden. So the crowd, they want the crowd rooting for the Knicks because they're the home team and for no other reason. They want them passionately engaged in it, but not too emotional. They want the players, one side to be heroes because they have New York on their chest, and the other side to be villains because they have Chicago on their chest, but for no other reason. And you can't really get that. We live in a time, in a a, a culture, where we need more than that. And the emotional investment that people make in sport is one of the reasons that it has blossomed as it has. So when I was a kid... You used the word hate earlier today. Some people will be mad at you for saying that. But hate has a sports connotation to it. When I was a kid, I was a crazy Nick fan. I hated the Celtics. I hated it. If you had said to me, how do you feel about Larry Bird? I hated Larry Bird. When I got to meet Larry Bird, my hands were shaking. I was so excited to meet him later in my life. Because I don't actually hate Larry Bird. I didn't know Larry Bird. But he's them. They always beat us. 
He's got that whole way about him. So there is that emotion. So all that is good. So the complicated part of all this is finding the line. Because there's obviously a line between I hate that guy and this is turning into a problem. And I understand where the league has to say we got to create a line that might be a little more um, conservative, conservatively drawn than some people would like it to be because the consequences of going over it are so significant that we just can't even consider. So Draymond Green went too far off script. Right. That's what happened. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. He, he, that's and, right. And, and he has done it before. And, 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 it is, and, and look, you're about to have kids. I mean, you have two children, but you're, you're, at some point they're going to become actual people as opposed to what they are now. And you're going to learn that there are that people don't always do things that you want them to do. And when they do things you don't want them to do, it is your job to then instruct them as to why. Don't just say don't do that, but tell them why they shouldn't do it. And that way, if they don't listen to you, you can always say, remember, I explained this to you. I explained why this is a problem. So I think that Adam Silver can look Draymond Green right in the face because they've obviously had these conversations before and say, man, I told you why you can't do this. Do you think it makes any difference that he was in the building? Any difference at all? Do you think that the emotion of the setting resonated with him in such a way that it impacted their decision? It, it can't have helped. <laughs> it, can't, it can't have helped. I mean, it's easy to say it shouldn't make any difference, and it shouldn't, but it can't have helped. What I don't know is just how ugly it felt in there at the time. Like, I'm just watching the, the tape of it over and over again, and I will say, you know, we reserve the right to change our mind. The more I watch it, the less I like it. <laughs> like, my first reaction to it was, this is great entertainment. The more I watch it, the uglier it feels. We're watching it right now on ESPN+. Plus. Like, I just keep looking at the Warriors bench, and Clay Thompson is pretending like nothing is happening. Yeah. He's just taking a swig. He's chilling. He's hanging out, waiting for the refs to decide what they're going to do. Like everyone else on the bench, it was a very... Every time you watch it, you see something different, and it gets more and more bizarre each time. A reminder, as Hembo mentions, that you can watch Hashtag Greenie on the ESPN app. Just click on Watch, find Hashtag ESPN Greenie, and you can enjoy. Our program is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Another reminder, uh, our book, which I, I can now proudly say is a New York Times bestseller, is available anywhere you are interested. It is called Got Your Number, and it should be available wherever you get your books, be those in stores, online, or anywhere else. The book is called Got Your Number. Please let us know if for whatever reason you can't find it, and please continue to let us know the things about it that you enjoy. I have so much myself enjoyed, as I know you have, reading a lot of the reaction and and the feedback that we've gotten on Twitter to a lot of the positions that we took and a lot of the great research that you did. That's been extraordinarily enjoyable for and, me. And I did a little research last week, like you mentioned yesterday, and I went back and forth with the Times a little bit. This is literally the, the highest rated or top rated sports book of either of the last two years. I mean, yeah. it has totally, totally blown me away in every conceivable way. And that's because of you. And by you, I mean every one of you who supports us and supports this project. We are eternally grateful. Again, the book is called Got Your Number. It's available now. We're back in just a flash. This is ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. We come to you live from the seaport, brought to you by Gray Goose. We've been talking a lot about Draymond Green and the NBA's decision and all that stuff. In a word, livid is how Woj described it today on GetUp in terms of how the organization felt about the decision. Right. The numbers are so loud. When Draymond Green is and is not available to the Warriors, they are staggering to me, even as one who lives in this stuff. So this season, with just this season I'm doing here, so with him on the floor, when Draymond Green was on the floor for the Warriors... Let me write this down. With, Dray- with Draymond on the floor... They outscored their opponent by 7 points per 100 possessions. For context on that... That was equivalent to the Boston Celtics. With Draymond Green on the floor, the Warriors were the Celtics. So they, they were, when the Celtics had the second best record in the league. Correct. Got it. When Draymond Green was on the bench, the Warriors were outscored by 5.2 points per 100 possessions, which is equivalent to the 55 loss Hornets. And so when Draymond Green's on the floor, they're the Celtics. When Draymond Green is off the floor, they're the Hornets. I'm not sure anything could be more stark or staggering uh, when it comes to his impact on winning than that. Yeah, look, he's he's so much more valuable to that team than I think people generally give him credit for. If, If you read our book, got your number, you'll know that I gave Dennis Rodman a number in the book. And I had to do it through clenched teeth. Because I will confess, I didn't like Dennis Rodman when I covered him, and and it was not because of any personal feeling. I didn't know him hardly at all. I mean, I observed him. He was very eager to be around media, so he was anything but hard to deal with. Um, I just thought he took advantage of Michael. He Mm. he got himself connected to Michael through the, the good fortune of a trade, His skill set happened to meld perfectly with what Michael did, and boy, did he milk it. And and he milked it for so much personal aggrandizement and and benefit and all of that, and at times I thought took advantage of it. But what was equally true was that they would never have won without him. They would not have won those three championships without him. None of them. You think they would have won none of those three championships without Dennis Rodman? If if you replaced him with Horace Grant, you probably would have. But you'd have to have replaced him with another really good player. He was an extremely valuable player in the same way, or at least for the same reasons, that Draymond Green is that valuable to the Warriors. If you were to rank, however you want to define this, the greatest role players in NBA history or the greatest role players you have ever seen, 
Are those two guys, Draymond Green and Dennis Rodman, at the very top of the list? See, role player is such a complicated word because, like, a role player, someone can be a role player by just providing instant offense. Like, I'm thinking of a guy... Uh, like named Vinnie Johnson, who they used to call the microwave. I don't know if that's maybe before your time, but he was on the Pistons championship teams. Uh, you know, the Isaiah Thomas, the bad boy championship teams. Was he a role player? I mean, he's literally his role was to come off the bench and just score, just fill it up. While, you know, Isaiah got a breather twice a game, and he did it extraordinarily well. But in today's game, almost anyone can score 12 points a game, which Dennis Johnson did. Almost nobody can defend four positions and lead your team in assists and lead your team in rebounds like Draymond Green can do. Yeah, that was Dennis Rodman. What you're describing is Rodman. So if you're doing that exactly, what you're really doing is saying people who can impact the game without scoring. Right. That's how we're defining a role player for the purposes of this discussion. Has any player impacted the game without scoring as much as those two guys, Draymond and Rodman? So Draymond Green's going to go to the Hall of Fame, right? Do you think so? Definitely. Averaging nine points a game. Right. That's absurd. How many points a game did Rodman average? Seven. Yeah. I mean, we're to- like, there's so, there's scant few people for that little. you can say that about. Yeah, that little. I think they would be at the very top of this list. I mean, I, I, I haven't, you're just asking me a question I haven't had any time to really think about the answer to. Who were some, like, great defensive centers, like guys who just blocked shots? Ben and- Wallace. Would yeah. you consider him a role player? I guess, but I wouldn't consider him as historically on the level of Dennis Rodman or or um, or Draymond Dikembe Green. Dikembe Mutombo. Dikembe Mutombo is getting closer. Mm. Also, not as I think not as good historically. Yeah, I happen to think that in the order in terms of how they how the Warriors achieved this, one is Steph, and two is Draymond, and then we can talk about everyone else. That's close. There were some games they absolutely would not have won without Clay. Like, like their whole thing that the 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 when they won that game six against Oklahoma City, the game that begat everything else with Kevin Durant and all of that. That was Clay all by himself. Look that up. It was. It would have been game six, Oklahoma City and Golden State at OKC, with the Warriors down three games to two. KD with a chance to close them out. And it would have been the year before he went there. So this would have been 16? Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? 41 points for Clay Thompson. What did he shoot? 11 threes. 11 of 18 from three. I mean, un, un, unimaginably good. Did yeah. that, won that game by himself. Mm-hmm. And, and that game absolutely rescued their season. So you could, it'd be very tough to, for me to, to, to say Draymond Green has been more valuable to this run than Clay. But it's close. I mean, it's very close. And look, the Bulls. The Bulls, the great Bulls of the 90s, let's use the second team, the second 3 P because they're more famous. Um, they had Jordan, they had Pippen, they had Rodman. They wouldn't have won the championships without any of the three of them. Like, you couldn't have taken any of the three of them away. Clearly, Jordan was the most important player. To me, Pippen was the second most important player. But if you wanted to say, well, they would never have won without Rodman, you'd be right. So at that point, it really doesn't matter who was more valuable. You, you are invaluable. You are, by definition, invaluable to your team if they can't win without you and they do win with you. I guess what I'm saying is I, I think it would have been, in an alternate universe, easier to replace what Clay Thompson did than Draymond Green did. That's what I think because he did so many things, everything, aside from scoring so well. But because of the presence of Stephen Clay, it's what made them the perfect threesome. 
Maybe. I think the flip side of that is if you had another player who had Draymond's – another player who's about his size, um, it might be easier to figure out a way to get that guy to do as many different things for your team than it is to have someone who shoots the ball like I don't know because Draymond Green has three players. Like, Draymond Green does everything. He's, he's like when, when you watch him play and you see everything that they do and then you look at the stats, his impact on winning, you look at the plus-minus stuff, it's ahead of Clay. It's right behind Steph. This year, again, they're the Celtics and they're the Hornets. Like That's as much an impact as any role player, as any non-scorer could possibly have. That, look, I'm not trying to make an argument with you here because I really haven't thought about this. So, if, if you're, so ultimately, it comes down to who's more replaceable. Is, is a shooter like Clay Thompson more replaceable than a guy who does literally everything else? And the answer is, could you find someone, could you find someone who shoots closer to Clay? Let, let's even live in a world where we're going to say Clay is the second greatest shooter of all time, mm-hmm. which is an argument you probably could defend. It, it, playing with Steph has made it complicated because Steph takes so many shots that Clay doesn't otherwise get. So he doesn't get anywhere near Ray Allen and Reggie Miller and all that stuff, but he may be every bit as good a shooter as those guys were. But anyway, Steph is Steph and that's that. It, would it be easier to find someone who was close to that than it would be to find someone who could do all the things Draymond does almost as well as he does? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's easier to find Clay. Everyone, not everyone can shoot as efficiently as Clay, but you can find a lot of people that can, that can 3 and D. He's, he's, probably, he's one of the great 3 and D guys ever. Right. But think about all the things that happen, have, have to happen on a basketball court and the fact that the Warriors' defense has been an anchor behind all of their championships and Draymond Green being the most important cog of them all. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. We have a bunch of different directions I want to go. If anything further develops on this, we'll let you know. But outside of that, we've been on it pretty much all morning. I'd like to get to a few other things here, which we will, including a new rule being tested that I'm fascinated to hear about and fascinated to hear your reaction to. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. Previously on Greeny. To my wife, the menu in a restaurant is a suggestion. Her response is a demand. <laughs> we have now officially defined the difference between a suggestion and a demand. The restaurant suggests you eat this. My wife demands I'm eating that. And if not, I'm eating somewhere else. This is Greeny. Now, it's funny. When you hear things sometimes out of context, they sound a little different than the way you meant them. (laughs) That might have sounded like a little, uh, that might have sounded a tad more acerbic than I meant it to. I will say this, though. We went to a a little Japanese place right by our apartment last night for just a quick dinner. And uh, boy, was that on display. (laughs) Boy, was was proof of what I just described on display. Mixing and matching the menu. There's just literally nothing that we wind up ordering the way it comes. (laughs) Like literally nothing. In fact, to this point, this is a place we go all the time because it's it's a 15-second walk from the, the building I live in. So we go there a lot, and it's very, very good. And uh, now they know how we want it. So, like, the, the waitress will – I don't even bother mentioning what we're changing. She already knows. So you're, like, get the same thing every time kind of people. Yeah, I am for sure. She likes to be more adventurous? Yeah. It depends on the cuisine. Like, sushi, no. Like, sushi, we're getting the same thing every, every single time. time. Yeah, in a, in, a, in a different place. Sushi is, there are some people who are very adventurous. There's three kinds of sushi eaters, right? There are the people who just don't eat it, right? Who, who just don't eat raw fish, and that's so fine. So there are two kinds of sushi eaters. Which is what? Well, if, if 
if a third kind of sushi eater doesn't eat sushi, there can't be three. Okay, fair enough. So there are three kinds of eaters in their reaction to sushi. All right, let's see which ones we are. Do you eat sushi? Yes. Will you eat, like, the chef's recommendations tonight, not having any idea what they are? No. Not being able to identify? Okay. No. So those are the three kinds. So there's people like that who will eat that. Oh, I went to this place last night, and they made this, and they made that. I didn't know what it was. I just tried it. One of them was still moving. You hear this stuff all the time. You hear this stuff all the time. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love sushi, but I don't eat that. I don't do that. I'm much too hesitant about things like that. Then there's those in the middle, like me. I know exactly what sushi I like. I like it very much. Which is? I get that. I get maguro. I get... Um, uh, I, I get tuna, yellowtail, salmon, some rolls, something with a little avocado in it. I like a hand roll every now and again, that kind of thing. You're very basic Very sushis. specific. The, the, those are your basic, you know, sure. nigiri, like your basic sushi. And then there are people who don't eat it at all. So I guess you're right. The, the, those people are not sushi eaters. They're non-eaters. <laughs> so those are the three different kinds of, of denominations. Uh, so you're, in the, you're, you're the one like me. You will eat some but not all. Right, like... Let's guess what we think Bubba and Cam are. Mm. I'm going to guess Bubba doesn't eat sushi at all. That's my guess. Yeah, me too. Okay. I, I think that's right. Bubba, we're guessing you do not eat sushi. Are we right or wrong? <laughs> that is correct. I've tried it. Shocking. I have given it a try, but I, I, that's about as far as and I've What gone. didn't you like about it? Uh, pretty much everything. Okay. Fair. You're not enti- you're not, this is what I always tell my kids. If you don't like it, I'm not going to make you eat it. I just want you to try it. Yeah, don't yeah, tell I've, me you I've don't like it, it without yeah. trying. So do they eat vegetables that they didn't like when they were three? I mean, my kids are actually pretty good eaters, but my point is most kids, you're going to find this out with Michelle and the other one, they'll, they, will, they will be predisposed to thinking they don't like something. Right. They, one of their friends will have told them they don't like this. For whatever reason, they'll be like, no, I'm not eating that. And I will say, you haven't tasted it. Taste it. If you don't like it, I'm not going to make you eat it. Well, this, is, this is a democracy. You're allowed to eat what you feel like eating within some limits of, 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 of nutrition, and, and etc. I'm not going to make you eat something, but I'm not going to accept, I just think I'm going to dislike that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm talking about. Do we about. think Cam's a sushi eater? I'm going to guess yes. Now, the question is which kind? <sighs> I would imagine he's a down-the-middle sushi eater. So you think he's like us and not one of the experimental sushi eaters? I guess. think we got a fighting chance at experimental. Fighting chance. I, I'm going to go experimental, yeah. I think I'm going experimental. Which are you, Cam? I would say normally down the middle, but if, if I'm in an adventurous mood, I would certainly try a recommendation. I'm not stuck with one thing every single time. Okay, no, sure. no, 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 but fair. I understand what you're saying, but let's make sure that we're defining ourselves here. Okay. If you walk in... And a bunch of people say, hey, let's get the chef special tonight. It's a tasting menu. They're going to bring whatever they're going to bring, and we're going to eat it. Are you in on that or not? Yeah, because I succumb easily to peer pressure. Okay. You're alone. <laughs> I'm <laughs> You're not going to eat sushi alone. I, I'm put, You're making this very difficult. I I'm trying to ask understand. a pretty simple qualifier, question. Cam. Yes or no? It's you, you and Roger Staubach having sushi. <laughs> <laughs> it better be soon, then. That's right. This is a man who once killed Roger Staubach last on week, show, which was very difficult. Okay. Yes, I would be experimental. I'm an adventurous eater. I'm glad that we finally got to the bottom of that. Okay, at least we had a little levity on the program today. Now let's get back to business. I'm ready to go right now. Green light with Greeny. All right, so some baseball out there that I want to get to with you here. We have uh, Giancarlo Stanton uh, spending his annual six weeks on the um, 
disabled list with a hamstring. The guy has literally never been healthy. He has never had a healthy season. Has he ever had a healthy season? The one year he hit 59 home runs, he was healthy, but his hamstrings have not held up since then. Okay, so Every he, year. I mean, he's literally never... There are very few things in the world more less surprising than waking up in the morning and seeing that Giancarlo Stanton is going to be out six weeks. But people that big aren't supposed to play baseball. That's why it's so amazing that Aaron Judge will ever play a full season healthy. That's what made last year so incredible. That's, so it's not that surprising. Okay, it's fair huge. enough. One way or another, he's, he's hurt. But that's not the baseball news that I wanted shared this morning. Clayton Kershaw won his 200th game. It made me think a lot of things when I read that yesterday. One of them is just how many wins 300 is. Because that used to be a standard of measure. 300 wins used to be the number that we would that was aspirational. Those days are obviously long gone. Will we ever see anyone win 300 games again? We will not. I mean, that, that, that will very literally unlikely. never happen. I think our, our best shot would be Justin Verlander among active players, and he's, he's 56 shy, and he's 40. So it would require a Herculean effort for him to get there. But Clayton Kershaw has some numbers, and, and 200 wins is just sort of a nice round number and a, and a good time to take stock of it. That would suggest... He's one of the best, if not the best, starting pitchers of all time. Now, I will never sit here, you will never hear come out of my mouth the words, Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher I've ever seen, because your performance in big games has to factor into that significantly, and his has been legendarily bad. But his numbers would suggest that in the regular season, he's up there with the greatest pitchers of all time. So just one number, just I'll throw it out there. I'm going to read for you a comprehensive list of pitchers that have both 200 wins, and an ERA below two and a half, okay? 200 wins and an ERA under two and a half, elite in both areas. Clayton Kershaw. And that's the whole list. That's the entire list of pitchers to debut since 1920, which is an approximation of recognizable baseball that have done both of those things. He's the only one. You could make a cogent argument that Clayton Kershaw is the greatest regular season pitcher of the last 100 years. Yeah. And yet... His ERA in the postseason is 4.22. He is best remembered for blowing up in the playoffs year after year after year. When Clayton Kershaw someday retires, someday soon retires, which version will you remember him as? as well, what, so watch the chapter in the book. So once again, we can relate everything now back to our book, which I think has delightfully become sort of at least one touchstone on this for a lot of sports fans. The book is called Got Your Number, and it's available now wherever books are sold. So the question is, if we're, if we're, writing, if we're giving Clayton Kershaw a number, what is his, uh, his 200 we couldn't give him because that's not a number. His ERA is what again? His ERA as of now is 2.48. something to four. We wouldn't My give him. So, so we couldn't give him. So I'm not sure what number we would give him there. So, so, but whatever. If we're creating a number for him, would his postseason struggles be in the opening sentence? Yes. I hate to say it. But they'd have to be. They, they have to be. Like, you, you can't bury the lead. <laughs> like, Clayton Kershaw's kind of a what-if for me. Like, had Clayton Kershaw just pitched to the back of his baseball card in the playoffs, we're talking about him like he's Sandy Koufax and Bob Gibson and the other, Christy Matheson, like those people. But Clayton Kershaw has cost the Dodgers championships. They have left him out there on the mound in the fifth and sixth and seventh inning of postseason games and lost postseason series because of him. They won one in some sense in spite of him in 2020, but that is their only one. Clayton Kershaw's, the, the chasm between his regular season performance and his playoff performance is the most significant gap of any legendary athlete in any sport that I can remember. Yeah, I was trying to think who would be even in that discussion 
I, I have the NBA very much on my brain right now because I'm doing the shows and I sit there, you know, with Michael and Jalen and Stephen A. Would James Harden be in that category? Like a guy who's put up his ridiculous numbers offensively. Now, people sometimes tend to poo-poo them a little bit, but he has put up offensive numbers in regular seasons that, that very few players in history could match, and yet his postseason performances are also legendarily bad. That's good. Uh, so is Chris Paul, but I think James Harden is a, is a better comparison than Chris Paul. I want to say, now you tell me if I'm overrating this, I want to say that some of Chris Paul's, like a sizable percentage of Chris Paul's postseason struggles have been injury-related. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Which I think is different. It's not, it's not completely different. It's not chocolate and vanilla different, but it's, it's a little different. It's just so much more pronounced in baseball because you're on that mo- mound on an island by yourself. Right. And it's so, it's so much more obvious. And in some cases, Dave Roberts would bring him out of the bullpen and blow the game there too. Like I think it's maybe Peyton Manning who had a lot of really, really ugly playoff moments, but he wound up redeeming himself on a couple occasions. But I think Kershaw is the one that I look at and say, like, if you could have only been you when it mattered, my goodness, what a difference it would have made for your legacy. The other thing from baseball that I wanted to give you the green light on, though, were these new rules being tested in the Atlantic League. And I don't feel like everyone knows this, but new rules have become a big topic in baseball, obviously, this year with the pitch clock, etc. And this is something I'm interested in. Explain it. The double hook is the one I want to talk about. The double hook rule, which we have previously talked about, and I recall you loving, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refresh your memory. I think this was Greeny's idea, but go ahead. Exactly. The double hook designated hitter rule allows teams to use the DH throughout the game as long as the starting pitcher throws at least five innings, gets at least 15 outs. If it does not occur, then the team loses its DH and the pitcher spot would bat for the remainder of the game. It incentivizes you to allow your starting pitcher to go deeper into games, which has absolutely been eradicated in baseball. So, uh, generally speaking, I think I like it. Now, there are always unintended consequences to these things. Um, there, is, there are no provisions for injury, right? Like, if the pitcher hurts his arm, that's it. Too bad. He's coming out, and someone else, and, and the DH spot is gone. I'm sure we, can, we would get all-time acting jobs, so there would have to be some kind of disincentive for doing that. Right. So, so my point is that's not part of this rule. No, and I'm sure that in the Atlantic League, which, which is where they're experimenting on this, they'll have to figure that piece of it out like, so that teams aren't taking advantage I'm okay with that. that. So, so, look, this is not new. Uh, I, I didn't attach an inning to it. What, what I said, the Greeny rule, as I remember this, was we talked about this last year, was that you have a DH as long as your starting pitcher is in the game, however long that goes, and then you lose the DH spot. Now, if you want to cut it off at five innings... The old fart in me, the traditionalist in me, says you're still setting the bar kind of low. Like, I understand that five innings is considered a quality start these days. I still have a very hard time wrapping my mind around hearing, oh, the starter gave us us five good innings. That's exactly what we needed from him. That doesn't feel right, although I understand that it is. It's all that is required, though, to qualify for a a win. For a win, I get it. that's, I'm guessing that could have been where it go, comes from. I would be fine raising the standard and it continuing to experiment with it. But so I can look this up for you, but so few starters are going to get more than 15 outs in a game. Right. You, you, you'll be surprised by how few will even get 15. So once the starter gets 15 outs, then you have a DH for the rest of the That's game. That's right. You can do whatever you want. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Hmm. I think I more than don't mind it. I think I like it. Do you like it more than the idea of, of attaching it just so long as your starter's in the game? And that's determined exclusively by that, and there's Here, no cutoff. Here's why I do. Because 
I recognize that while I like the strategy of figuring out how we're going to handle the pitcher's spot in the eighth inning of a one-run game and, and all of the things that go, the pitching around that may go to that, like there's a lot of strategy. I understand that most people want the designated hitter is generally going to be, not, if not the biggest, then one of the biggest bats in the lineup, and you want that in the game in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. So I don't think taking your most important bat out of the lineup or one of the big bats out of a lineup earlier is beneficial right. for the sport. That's, That's right. generally not better. No, I think, I think attaching it to an inning limit, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I kind of favor the idea of it being a little bit longer, but five seems like as good a place to start as any. I think it would be great. Like in, the, in the fifth inning of a World Series game, if Kevin Cash has to decide whether or not he's going to keep Blake Snell in, who's thrown 75 pitches and hasn't gotten touched, but then he is at the risk of losing his DH for the rest of the game, that's a great thing to, for baseball to be weighing as part of your calculus. And if you can get some more action from your starting pitcher, that's what, that's what we want. We don't want this never-ending charade of, of, of relievers starting in the third inning. Here's why this is so smart. At the end of the day, whether you like or don't like this specific thing, what we can never legislate out is a manager's ability or desire to win the game. And so this whole idea that, oh, you can't put relievers in, all this kind of stuff, you, you can't do that because you have to let the manager do whatever it is that he believes is the best way to go about winning. That's what you want. So what you then do is you create a different decision for the manager to make mm. where he's no longer making a decision between what's entertaining and what gives you the best chance to win. You're choosing between two options and deciding which one gives me the better chance to right. win. One of them happens to be more entertaining. Mm -hmm. So I think I like it. I, I mean, I, I need to give it a little more thought, but generally speaking, I like it. And I like the fact that they're thinking this and way a lot. trying this stuff. Like, right. good on you, baseball, for, for, for at least attempting to feel the 21st century That's product. right. The, the sport that never changes is contemplating change and doing it in some ways. And I, I agree with you. I approve. All right, this has been a fun day. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back in Better Than Ever tomorrow on ESPN Radio. for listening to Greeny the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.